Good morning. Our scripture this morning is taken from Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone should sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. We are working on uh, finding our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Famous, uh, maybe the most famous passage in the Bible as far as what's been taught on and preached on and commented on in the last 2,000 years. Maybe the most famous uh, address that Jesus ever gave. And you might recall that when he introduced the Sermon on the Mount, he said that if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need a righteousness that exceeds, that is greater than the best attempts of righteousness that we can work up on our own. And then what Jesus does is he provides six examples of what this greater righteousness, this heavenly righteousness, looks like in practical living. Today, we're going to look at the fifth of those six examples. And this example has to do with how we respond to our enemies. Let me define enemies, those who do you harm. How do you respond to those who do you harm? Uh, Some folks over the centuries have interpreted Jesus in this passage that you just heard read um, as though he were laying a foundation for passivism. Uh, That's actually not what he's doing. He's doing something far more personal. He's not talking about how governments, civil governments, should respond to conflict here. He's talking about how you should respond to conflict. He's talking about how individuals you and I, should respond to those who harm us. And what you're going to find is this. He's saying that the greatest alternative to retaliation, which is what we typically want to do, the greatest alternative to to retaliation is nurturing in yourself a generous heart. We'll get to this. How, how, How do we get from those who do us harm, to having a generous heart towards them. Okay, well, to get there, we're going to talk about three things. First is pursuing justice when people harm you. We're going to talk about that and what the Bible says about justice. But then we're going to talk about pursuing mercy when people harm you. And then we're going to talk about pursuing Jesus when people have wronged you. That's the key. So, Pursuing justice and pursuing mercy, but pursuing Christ when you are wronged. The law of the Old Testament, the Torah, it promoted justice for all offenses. Let me clarify what I mean by justice, because I'm not going to give you an exhaustive sense of justice here. What I mean in today's passage by justice is giving someone their due for committing an offense. Giving someone their due 
for committing an offense. And Jesus opens up in verse 38 by saying, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now this concept you can find throughout the Old Testament law. For example, in Exodus chapter 21, you will hear Moses say, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And this concept is known as lex talionis. It's a Latin expression which simply means law according to kind. Another way to say this is, let the punishment fit the crime. You've heard that expression before? Let the punishment fit the crime. So I must turn, of course, for all actual instances or examples of justice and injustice to the Godfather. Why is it that organized criminals understand justice better than politicians? Um, you might remember uh, from the Godfather, the mortician, the mortician Bonacera, he comes to Don Corleone and he says to Don Corleone, Godfather, I want you to do something for me. He wants Don Corleone to kill two young boys who had, who had tried to abduct and beat up his daughter so that she was hospitalized. She survived and she was healing in the hospital. And he goes to Don Corleone and he says, Godfather, and actually I'll quote to you what he says because the Godfather asks, what do you want? And he says to the Godfather, wanting the murder of these two young men, he says, I ask for justice. And he says, an eye for an eye. But the Godfather responds, no, you ask for too much. Your daughter is still alive. It was more of like, no, your daughter is still alive. <laughs> Something more like that. But that is, that's Lex Talionis right there. You ask for too much. The punishment you desire does not fit the crime. Justice in a civilized society requires that punishment be proportionate to the nature and the degree of the offense. No more but also no less. And actually, the concept of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, is, is actually not vengeance. It prevents vengeance. This idea appears even earlier in ancient history than Israel. It goes back to the Babylonians. Traces of this concept go actually back into ancient Roman law and ancient Greek law. For, for example, the Code of Hammurabi, I'm sure if you had any decent type of history in your education, you may have heard of the Code of Hammurabi, uh, which states, and this is several hundred years before uh, God gives the Israelites this law, if a man put out the eye of another man, his eye shall be put out. It goes on to say, if he put out the eye of a freed man, he shall pay one gold mina. If he put out the eye of a man's slave, he shall pay one half its value. Now, do you notice something in this? This form of justice is still not just. Not quite. Because according to a person's status, according to a person's gender, according to a person's place in society, they either got more or less restitution for crimes committed against them. If you were a slave, if you were a foreigner, if you were a woman, 
You did not receive full restitution for the crimes done against you. Now, a gross example of this type of not quite just justice that in a sense, if it gets out of hand, if, if this inequity in eye for eye mentality, if it gets out of hand, a gross example of it would be from, from Charles Dickens' novel, A Tale of Two Cities. Um, actually, there's, there's this horrible figure, this villain-like character, uh, the, um, the Marquis Saint-Evremont. Now, this, this guy uh, is a cruel, oppressive, heartless, arrogant nobleman of the French aristocracy, right around the time just before the French Revolution. And, and the Marquis Saint-Evremond, as, as his giant, ornate, horse-drawn carriage is just plowing down a city street in, in, the, crowd, in the crowded neighborhood of, um, oh, where, where was it? It was... Um, I can't remember the name of the neighborhood. Uh, as, as basically Paris, think Paris, okay? And, and as his giant carriage is just flying through the crowded streets with no regard for who is in its way, uh, the carriage runs over a small boy from a poor family. Uh, and the carriage naturally comes to a lurching stop. And so the Marquis looks out of his carriage and he sees a father holding his dead boy in his arms, wailing as the people in the poor community surround the man. And, and the marquis in his heartless arrogance looks out and he takes a gold coin and he flings it out of the carriage onto the street. And Dickens says, with the air of a gentleman who had accidentally broke some common thing and had paid for it. That is an example of how an offense cost the victims everything, but the restitution offered cost the offender practically nothing. And even in ancient societies that tried to offer equal justice under the law, according to gender, according to social status, they still failed to truly provide that until the God of Israel gave his people his law in which it said, for instance, in Leviticus chapter 24, when a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. Or another passage, uh, sorry, that was Exodus 21. In Leviticus 24, it says, if anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native for I am the Lord, your God. So rich or poor, slave or free, male or female, citizen or refugee, God required equal justice under the law. Not even our society has been able to achieve this. God desires appropriate justice for all offenses. And what you should notice is, notice this isn't you doling out the justice. This isn't me doling out the justice. This is understood in, in the sense of civil government. It's an important distinction to make for where I'm about to go with this. Now, when you get to Jesus's day and what he's saying here, is he therefore banning this idea of eye for eye, tooth for tooth? Is he saying no, no more? Is he saying 
No equal justice under the law? No, no. His point was that his kingdom is about more than justice. Watch this. Jesus calls his followers to equally pursue mercy for all offenses. Equally pursue mercy for all offenses. This is where it goes from civil government down to you personally. Pursue mercy for all offenses. And let me clarify what I mean here by mercy in this context. I mean not giving someone their due for committing an offense. See, a good civil government has to give people their due for offenses. But you and I, Jesus says, are to pursue mercy. So he says in verse 39, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now the word there in the original language, resist, it means to oppose somebody, to work against them. How do you respond to your enemies? Jesus is saying, don't treat them like your enemy. He goes on to say, because he clarifies it, he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, give him your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, because of time, I can't explain what each of these means specifically, but I will form it up. He's, he's, he's giving three examples of forms of aggression. The first example, the slapping thing, it was a sign of public humiliation, disrespect, and contempt. The second example is obviously litigation. It's, it's civil aggression. And then the final one has to do with political and social oppression. It's what the Romans would do to subjugated people. Forced, it's a form of forced labor going one mile. And so this is interesting. He gives example of personal humiliation, civil litigation, and, and um, social and political oppression. And what you see him doing, as opposed to saying eye for eye, he's basically saying cheek for cheek. Garment for garment, mile for mile. You see the continuity in his words? But here's the interesting thing. It's not their cheek, it's yours. See, according to the Old Testament, it's a cheek for cheek, right? You, they slap you on the cheek, well, they're going to get slapped on the cheek. Not literally. The scholars believe the idea was that, that they need to suffer a consequence that's equally proportionate to what they've done. Uh, but notice Jesus doesn't say their, your, their cheek for your cheek. He, he says your cheek again. Okay? He's adding to the curse. Right? Not just one mile. Let them, let them force you to two miles. Not your garment, not their garment for your garment, but even more of your garments to them. So is, is he encouraging abuse? Is he trying to say that there's, we, have no, we have no respite from oppression and, and no recourse from victimization? Is he saying that we cannot or should not pursue justice? That we should not help ourselves out of a difficult situation? And no, he is not saying that at all. Because the key to understanding that is going further in the passage to verse 42, because he offers two more examples of aggression. He says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one 
who would borrow from you. Ah, okay. So did you notice that the first three examples had to do with your equals or your superiors harassing you? But these last two examples have to do with your lessers harassing you. Okay, in the first three examples, they have the upper hand. In the last two examples, you have the upper hand. They're coming to you. They're begging you. They're asking to borrow from you. See, so either way, whether you're in a position of power or whether they are in a position of power, either way, Jesus is using dramatic language here to basically say, don't respond in kind. That's mercy, not responding in kind. And John Calvin summarizes the whole passage up by basically saying, Christians should be prepared, prepared, because we live in a fallen world, and because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, and he's already told us in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted, right? If his principles are what you live by, there are going to be consequences in this world for you. John Calvin says, well, then the Christians should be prepared for conflict after conflict, for abuse upon abuse. As Peter even says in his letter, 1 Peter, we should not be surprised as though something strange were happening to us if we suffer for doing good. If we suffer for doing evil, we're, we're, we're just, we're being jerks. But if you suffer for doing good, you should not be surprised, John Calvin says. And, and here's why this is so important. This is why this passage is so critical for us when we're dealing with conflict and, 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 and abuses uh, directed toward us in any setting. Once you are prepared for the reality of things, you're less surprised. You're less surprised when it happens to you. And if you're less surprised when it happens to you, you will be less outraged at personal insults and personal attacks and personal abuses. I'm not trying to belittle them or minimize them, but if you're not surprised, you will be less likely to take out personal vengeance that exceeds the nature of the offense, which is exactly what Lex Talionis, an eye for an eye, was trying to get at. Gross abuse of injustice in vengeance. Okay, so the Apostle Paul uh, is basically saying, uh, in application to all this in Romans chapter 12, look, if you're a Christian, do not pursue vengeance. Pursue justice, pray for justice, pursue mercy and not vengeance. And so Paul would work it out this way. He said, repay no one evil for evil in Romans chapter 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Instead of paying back and retaliating, give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And he went on to say, here's how Paul applied it. If this is true, he said, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Do not be overcome by evil, Paul said, but overcome evil with good. Jesus is offering you something positive. See, it's hard to just grin and bear it and try to not retaliate. Who can do that perfectly? Because if you don't send your hand up to slap the other person back, maybe you've already done it in your heart. Jesus is offering us the only antidote to vengeful retaliation, it's generosity, right? What is he? he says, if, let 
please, if somebody begs from you, give to them. If somebody wants to borrow from you, let them borrow from you. Even if they've hurt you, don't be surprised and don't work against them. He's not saying be a glutton for punishment. You hit me again, hit me again. He's saying we cannot be shocked by this in a broken world and we have to be prepared to counteract it. And the way we counteract it is not by retaliating in kind, but by practicing generosity in our hearts. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the nonviolent resistor not only refuses to shoot his opponent, but he also refuses to hate him. What Jesus is offering here for you is not inaction. It is positive reaction. God desires not only justice for all offenses, he desires mercy for all offenses. That's your response. He desires mercy for all offenses. Does this make you uncomfortable? This is, this is against the current of our culture, of every society under heaven throughout all of history, to think this way about those who would harm us. And yet, the apostle Peter, <laughs> Peter had a retaliation problem. But Peter would later say, later in his life, to this you have been called. Those are his words. This is really uncomfortable for us. This is hard for us to hear. And then Peter says, to this you have been called. Why? He says, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You need to ask yourself, is mercy unsatisfying? Does retaliation seem necessary? When your pursuit of justice becomes a lust for justice, it is no longer justice. Back to Dickens and A Tale of Two Cities. So when the Marquis uh, Saint-Evremond is about to drive away, right? He throws the gold, the gold coin out into the seat, into the street in the community of Saint Antoine, and he's about to arrogantly roll away as though he had paid for the offense. As this father is weeping and wailing over his lost child, as he begins to drive away, the gold coin comes flying back into his carriage. Somebody picked it up and threw it right back at him. And he immediately, you know, orders the carriageman to halt. And he looks out at the crowd. And he yells at them all in indignation and demands to know who threw the coin back. And he said, do you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, but he said, do you know what I could do to you? And Dickens says that everybody was silent and everybody looked at the ground. All the men looked down. And he said, and the Marquis didn't even notice her, but one person, one woman, Madame Defarge, had her head up and was looking straight at him. And you're left to believe that she threw the coin back, but she just stares at him and he, he drives away. And you know, I thought about this. I, I think we're tempted when we see 
her moment of, of, of brave defiance, uh, we're tempted to think that that is noble and admirable. That is a very American thing to do. That is a very 20th, 21st century uh, thing to do. But you know, as the story continues, in the end, Madame Defage is at the center of heinous brutality, spilling the blood of nobles and peasants, the guilty and the innocent, by her very own hands. And the reason I bring her up in response to the bad, ugly villain is to say this, you allow your anger to fester. You allow your heart to harden. You allow your appetite for retaliation to increase unchecked, and you become a monster, taking vengeance into your own hands. So instead, here, here is how you respond to your enemies. Instead of seeking justice against your enemy and making that your priority, seek him who sought mercy for his enemies. Jesus, when he was falsely accused, when he was slapped by the high priest and, 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 and the, the members of the Sanhedrin, uh, when he was dragged into an unjust court, when he was falsely accused, when he was mocked um, uh, by, by both Romans and Jews and publicly humiliated, uh, when he was flogged, uh, when he was beaten, when he was dragged to a Roman cross and hung there naked for everyone to see and died as a perfect man, a criminal's death. When all of that happened, Jesus didn't retaliate with legions of angels, with floods and fires to vindicate himself, to protect himself. The apostle Peter, again, said, when Jesus was reviled, verse Peter 2, Jesus, did, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. When he, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Our meek and merciful Savior quite literally offered his other cheek to those who slapped it. He quite literally gave up his garments. He literally went that extra mile carrying a cross. And on that cross where Jesus died, justice, right? The, the justice we long for, the justice we're so frustrated isn't accomplished in the world. The justice we're so frustrated hasn't been served on our behalf, even as individuals. It was all carried out on the cross when Jesus hung there. The justice for your own sin was served on the cross. And more than that, on the cross, the mercy that we all want for ourselves, the mercy was, was offered for all offenses. You see, the judge became the accused. Life for life. Except this time, you're the one deserving to lose your life. But Jesus gave his for yours. Instead of demanding your life for your crimes, Jesus gave his life for your crimes. 
And so on the cross, we see the perfect, the perfect meeting of God's right justice, which always evades us in this world, and God's mercy, which he's offering to you if you have never received it, which he has given you if you continue to demand that people pay you back for what they have done to you. The gospel is that Christ achieved justice for all offenses and offers mercy for all offenses. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, it is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth until the spirit of God enters into us. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth is how the world works. You get what is coming to you. What goes around comes around. Christianity is, you don't get what's coming to you. Jesus took that. Without Jesus, retribution wins. You will find without Christ that retribution in the end wins because God demands your life for your crimes against him. But with Jesus, mercy wins. With Jesus, you begin to desire for your enemy what God has already done for you. And what does God do for us? We read it together in Psalm 103 today, which says, what does it say? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. The greatest alternative to retaliation is nurturing a generous heart to the people who hurt us. The reason that those who are blessed and flourishing because they follow Christ, the reason they can turn the other cheek is because whatever they lose in this world, reputation, safety, possessions, people, Whatever they lose in this world is nothing compared to the gain in what they have in knowing Jesus Christ. Paul himself would say that in Philippians 3, whatever I would have counted as a loss, it's nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I count them as rubbish. Meaning poo, literally, that's what it meant. I count them as poo compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. We hold on to things too much. We're afraid of losing things and reputations and people. And as we cling to them, of course, we're going to demand retaliation. We're going to demand perfect justice without offering mercy. But what comforts the believer what comforts the person who has found Jesus, who's, who, who is in Christ, what comforts them in their losses is that they are hungering and thirsting for his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the only way you can ever stop lusting for retaliation is to want something else more, to want him more, who doled out his perfect justice on himself so that you could receive his mercy. 
So we pray, we pray for justice as citizens of a civilized society. We pray that, that people receive their due for what they have done in direct proportion to what they have done, not more, not less, or it's not a civilized society. We pray for that, and, and in practical ways, we promote that. But personally, we all know we're never going to receive perfect justice for offenses committed against us in this life. And so Jesus offers you a way, he offers you a way to sleep at night. He offers you literal health for your psychology and for your physicality, for your bodies. He offers you mercy as a way of life. Let's live it in his name. Let's pray. Our God, we, we confess that uh, the Sermon on the Mount is, is, a, is a rough, is, it's a rough hike. Um, uh, we, we discover that we, we're not equipped to climb the mountain. We desperately need your grace. Uh, we desperately need this man who, who lost everything for us. His reputation, his just reputation, his perfect reputation, his very life, his clothes, his beard, his pride, his honor, he lost it all uh, so that we would not be judged. And I praise you for that. I thank you that you are just, but I thank you that you are merciful. Uh, Father, may we pursue justice, but may we live as merciful, meek children of our Heavenly Father. Uh, in his name, in Jesus' name, amen.